From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is the week's worst with Matthew Vadem and filling in for Steve Allen, Mike Watson. Michael Watson, a research analyst at the Capital Research Center. Matthew Vadem, Senior Vice President at Capital Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. And I'm Jake Klein, media producer at the Capital Research Center, and I'll be moderating this podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. All right, so we have uh, Dr. Stephen J. Allen out this week, so we're very happy to have Mike Watson back again, filling in. And uh, when we have Mike here, I think we know we're going to have a fun show because we can get a little bit of conservative versus conservative, um, some different ideas from different ends of the conservative movement. Um, And it's nice to get to delve into that sort of stuff. So to give a background to this week's story, on Monday, July 24th, President Trump spoke at the Boy Scouts 20th National Jamboree, which brings tens of thousands of Boy Scouts together from across the country. The speech was widely panned in the mainstream press due to Trump politicizing what was supposed to be a non-political speech, especially since at the beginning of the speech, he explicitly said, quote, who the hell wants to speak about politics when I'm in front of the Boy Scouts, right? But then he went on to give a very political speech discussing the past election, Obamacare repeal, the use of Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays, and a variety of other topics. On July 27th, the chief scout executive, uh, Michael Serba, apologized for the content of the president's speech, writing, for years, people have called upon us to take a position on political issues, and we have steadfastly remained nonpartisan and refused to comment on political matters. We sincerely regret that politics were inserted into the scouting program. So, Matthew, let's start with you. Given the nation of the Boy Scouts and their explicit nonpartisanship, why was this an appropriate speech to give? Well, I I think that it probably was a bad idea for President Trump to insert a little bit of politics uh, into his speech before the Boy Scouts um, National Jamboree. But I think that far too much is being made of this. Left-wing media are reporting this as if this were like a Nuremberg rally for Hitler youth and as if he said some terrible things. He didn't. He, as is his want, he congratulated himself on, the, on his November election victory, said how difficult it is for Republicans to win election Elections given the makeup of the Electoral College, called upon um, uh, senators to follow through on their promises for the last seven years and repeal Obamacare, and a few other things. He recognized all sorts of Boy Scouts who were in the crowd who were from his own cabinet, like Rex Tillerson, uh, who was uh, formerly a president, I believe, of the Boy Scouts, or an honorary president, uh, as was Rick Perry, uh, the energy secretary, who was um, an Eagle Scout and uh, Ryan Zink, or Zinke, however they pronounce it, the Secretary of the Interior, who also has a background with the Boy Scouts. So, uh, yeah, it was a little political, but uh, uh, after eight years of Obama, uh, I I thought it was pretty mild, considering, but all in all, after eight years of the Obama administration, or President Obama was politicizing more or less everything, using children as props, uh, at, at just about every opportunity that he had, 
And uh, I, I would say that this speech by uh, President Trump was was pretty mild, and um, it's not something worth getting your nose out of joint over, as a lot of the um, as a lot of the media have been doing. It is uh, a tempest in a teapot. All right, so Mike, I, I think what Matthew said there is probably pretty true. President Obama politicized children as well. There was one example I found um, of him signing an executive order, or multiple executive orders rather, on gun control while surrounded by children for you know a political prop. Um, so th this isn't um, necessarily that outside the scope of regular politics, uh, I might say. Um, and additionally, as, as an aside, Newsweek went as far as to compare Trump's speech to the Nazis and that it targeted uh, children to spread propaganda, which I think we'd probably agree is, is hyperbolic. So with all that stuff being said, don't you think the mainstream media is just overreacting to everything Trump says? I mean, in this case, there definitely is an overreaction. Uh, the, you know, I, I believe that the, the president's speech was entirely inappropriate and entirely out of place. Uh, it was a partisan stump speech uh, with his partisan recounting of his partisan victory in the partisan election uh, with uh, quite a bit of content and quite a bit of talk about the current partisan wrangling in Washington, D.C., and by making it a part effectively a partisan appearance, uh, the president uh, compromised what had previously been one of the nonpartisan spaces where I think, uh, especially, you know, we certainly uh, talked about it quite a bit during the Obama administration, uh, and I think we were right to complain during the Obama administration that the left did not allow uh, for nonpartisan, nonpolitical spaces for people to step back by putting Obama uh, out in, you know, to have him, you know, doing uh, very publicly uh, his uh, NCAA bracket uh, making, which, uh, you know, put injecting himself into, uh, into sports. Uh, and I think that's what President Trump has done here. And just as I thought it was inappropriate when Obama did it, I think it's inappropriate when Trump does it. Uh, now, that said, for Newsweek to come and say that he somehow turned it into a, into, you know, a fascist rally or into, you know, a, uh, into the Nazis is, a, is just absolutely wrong. Uh, and it spoils the case, the, the perfectly legitimate case that they had to make. Um, and it's one of the faults that I think the mainstream, generally left-leaning press has shown throughout the Trump administration from kind of the very beginning. And that is that they've lost the perspective of what is truly not normal, what is truly wrong, what is truly bizarre. Things like the current ongoing feud with Attorney General Sessions, who is apparently now under threat because he is not acting as the personal capo regime of the president, and then that which is maybe unusual, which I would say this speech is unusual, and then that which is ordinary politics, 
conducted in an unsavory manner. Something like the reports that Secretary Zinke uh, had indicated to uh, Lisa Murkowski, U.S. Senator from Alaska, who has uh, voted against the Republican health care bills, that the Interior Department would look less favorably upon her requests if she did not uh, come around to the Republican health care proposals, which is normal politics done by every administration, but fairly unsavory. Um, The problem is the press are becoming the boy who cried wolf. They're saying everything is 11. Everything is this is not normal. And that's causing the public and people who want to approach politics right now from an honest position uh, left confused because we don't know when we have to expend a lot of energy trying to figure out what's really an 11 problem and what's the media turning a nothing burger in, you know, all the way up to 11. I'm also um, actually disgusted that the CEO of the Boy Scouts was cowed into offering an apology uh, to Americans for President Trump's speech. That's not his business. That's none of it. I don't see any reason why he had to do it. If President Trump did something wrong, then he should have just said President Trump did something wrong. He didn't have to apologize on behalf of um, uh, for for the speech. He had no control over it. The Boy Scouts have been so cowed, so pushed around and manipulated uh, by leftist pressure groups over the years that they have um, they have largely been emasculated. You know, like forcing. Um, Like, I don't care what the Boy Scouts do. If they want to allow gay scout troop leaders or transgenders or whatever, that's their business. I don't really care. But they have been pressured by the left so much on these issues over the year, over the years that the left um, has turned the Boy Scouts into an example of of uh, social re-engineering, of, of, of re-education, uh, of trying to actually take, uh, not that I'm a scout, but trying to take the essence of scouting uh, out of scouting. Um, and they've tried to, um, uh, they have over time whittled it down to this politically correct nub. And one example of how effective they've been in pushing the Boy Scouts around is that the CEO of the Boy Scouts felt it necessary to offer an apology. I was uh, I was really floored by that. Well, hold on. I mean, he wasn't. You know, the it has. You know, the president has given a speech at the Boy Scout Jamboree several times, and the closest prior presidents have come to making a political statement was when George Herbert Walker Bush in 1989 told the kids to say no to drugs at the height of the of the Reagan Bush era. Just say no anti-drug PSA campaign. So to then have the president come to what is an ostensibly non-political event, there are some people who do not wish to be partisan and do not wish to have certain events be partisanized. And the president comes and talks about how wonderful his election victory was and incorrectly that a Republican could never win the Electoral College when even though he just won the most efficient Electoral College win uh, since at least Bill Clinton, if not ever, the you know, it, it, it's entirely within within the right, and I think it's entirely proper for the CEO of the Boy Scouts to say, no, we do not, we are not going to become a partisan political political event, and it was inappropriate for our invitee speaker, without our knowledge, to make it a partisan political event, as even that partisan political speaker 
somewhat admits, having said that he wasn't going to discuss discuss politics, discuss the day-to-day partisan wrangling, and then proceed to go ahead and do it anyway. But that's just a rhetorical technique, you know that, Mike. Uh, they politicians here in in Washington DC so often begin their speeches and you know you're in for trouble when they say um I, I don't want to make really long remarks but <laughs> and then and then they do so I I wouldn't hang your so so so, so you're saying, so, so, so you're saying he knowingly knew that he that that he was going to do this when he shouldn't have he was just using a sure he was just using a rhetorical technique as people do uh as politicians do every day in speeches Matthew, so if I, can... I, I i don't think it was I, th- I think you're suggesting something nefarious here uh that just isn't here well matthew if i can clarify yeah. the the issue a little bit because i i don't think there's anybody that has a particularly large issue with Trump saying at the beginning, I'm not going to make it political, but then making it political. That was more just an illustration of a point, which is that to begin with, these speeches were not supposed to be political speeches. The Boy Scouts are a nonpartisan, uh, apolitical group. Um, and when presidents have come to give these speeches in the past, they have kept it non-political, more like a commencement or, or at least, speech. Yeah, right? or at least, or I mean, obviously they're going to be informed by the president's, you know, by whoever the president may be, their beliefs, and in that way they may, because everything the president says is political, quote-unquote, be political, but they are not openly partisan in the way that President Trump's was. No, that, and that may be true, but the point is the apology uh, was extracted from the CEO uh, by his radical left-wing masters, the people who really control the Boy Scouts by by affecting their policy and by pushing them around. And, and what really is going on here is that they were horrified that uh, the message um, was not, um, you know, was not a left-wing message. They were, um, they were pissed off that a Republican was, and I, I agree that it was inappropriate for him to inject partisan politics into it. But the real outrage here is that he was making Republican talking points, and that infuriated them. And uh, the Boy Scouts um, are, ter- like many large organizations, are terrified of pressure groups. And so the CEO had to um, uh, tamp down on that quickly because uh, they can't take the heat when um, uh, left-wing groups start criticizing them. And this is not just a problem with the Boy Scouts. This is a problem with many large organizations. Um, Corporations, especially banks, uh, are very quick to cave when somebody uh, organizes a protest and a picket line around uh, their headquarters. So that's, I think, all I was trying to say. I think a lot of the news reports that I've seen have shown, and and maybe you have some information that that I didn't see, which I think would be valuable to our listeners, but it seemed like a lot of the criticism was coming from inside the Boy Scouts and the stories that I read for today's show. Um, A lot of uh, former scouts uh, complaining to the uh, higher-ups, a lot of the families of younger scouts who are at the Jamboree complaining about this. Um, So, so was it, was, is it indeed outside pressure groups or was it an internal revolt or was it some mixture of both? Uh, Well, I didn't see the reports you're referring to. All the controversy that uh, I, I've taken note of was um, 
criticism in uh, in the media. Um, this is a kind of, I don't know, I just can't, a, a, a scout, um, a, a, a pack leader, is this the sort of thing that he would be offended about? Eh, I, I find that hard to believe, but well, it's, I mean, po- well, well, it's, well, well, it's well, well, possible. I mean, there are some, you know, the, the Boy Scouts are a national organization with chapters and packs and troops. Like Matt, I wasn't a scout. Uh, I do in, admire scouts. I, I just never became one. Uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, you know, across the country and, you know, in the scouting movement internationally. Uh, so yeah, in that crowd, you were going to have, you know, boys and, you know, obviously not the boys, but the dads, uh, and the, the troop leaders, you know, you were going to have the, you know, some from West Virginia who probably supported the president, uh, and probably support the president's agenda. And you were probably having some, having some from California, who didn't and who don't. And the problem, the fundamental problem with making such a partisan speech in that venue is that it divides people who have been brought together for a purpose other than politics. And it uses politics to divide them in a way that, again, I feel is inappropriate. And I think that's why you have the internal, uh, you've had the internal dem, uh, remonstrations, and I think that's why the uh, the chief executive's uh, apology is entirely appropriate, uh, even if it wasn't technically his fault. All right, let's move on to a, a different area of discussion. So, uh, Matthew, th- this event feeds into a common attack against Trump from the campaign which is that his poor character would serve as a a signal to children that it's okay to act like him. There was one, I thought, particularly impressive campaign ad from Hillary Clinton that was just uh, children watching TV and then on the TV is some of the more egregious things that uh, Trump had said uh, during campaign speeches. Um, And a a USA Today poll indicates that 72% of registered voters, I I don't know where this is from, this might have been pre-election, I'm not certain, uh, think Trump is not a role model for children. Uh, So so what do you make of this? And did he act as a good role model to children during his speech? Um, If yes, why? If not, does it matter? I'm not even sure what it means to be a role model for children. I certainly would never aspire to be one. Uh, I think that um, uh, that President Trump's leadership style is uh, populist and uh, eccentric, and I'm not sure if a lot of people uh, would want to to emulate behavior, his behavior, uh, with all of its eccentricities. But I think that. He has a certain leadership style uh, that appeals to Americans. So I'm not really sure how to answer your question about him being um, a role model. Do I think that um, I think that he's an effective salesman, and, and uh, what he should probably do is learn to turn it off occasionally a little bit, like when he gives speeches to the the National Boy Scouts um, jamboree. And I think that's the best answer I can give you, Jake. Mike, I'm sure you have thoughts on that question as well. Yeah, I mean, this this speech is not why uh, President Donald Trump is not a role model for children. Uh, it, 
um, why he is not a role model for children was very thoroughly litigated during the campaign, uh, and the American electorate duly constituted in the Electoral College decided that that was not sufficient reason for him not to become president, which is fine. Um, the, the fundamental, uh, issue here is actually, uh, I think Matt kind of looked at, you know, kind of got towards it, that he has one setting and that is to try to sell himself. Uh, I do not think he has done a particularly good job of it since the election. Uh, his, uh, his approval ratings at the time of his inauguration uh, had gotten back to about par. He's now looking at minus 20 to minus 25 net. Um, so even if you believe that the polls are fundamentally skewed, they're still moving in a strongly negative direction. Um, the uh, And the way in which he sells himself is very, f- creates fervent loyalty with a base uh, but it does not broaden a a um, the 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 base that is already with him, uh, and by taking it into inappropriate venues, you know he's demonstrating the weakness of 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 that form of salesmanship. I, I as I alluded to earlier uh, earlier I am kind of uh, getting tired of him recounting how difficult it was him to win the election and he does this he does this all the time and it's a it's a it's a comedian going back to the last good joke that he had yeah yeah anybody here from brooklyn anyway um (laughs) it is it is kind of like that he's just i just don't want to hear about the electoral college in 2016 anymore uh that was a long hard-fought election and uh you know, it's getting it's getting boring talking about 2016. I think he should look forward to the future and stop being locked in the past in his um, in his rhetorical ramblings. Um, so earlier, Matthew, you talked a little bit about um, the pressure from the left that has come down on the boy on the sorry on the Boy Scouts in the past. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with you on that, but it seems like it's potentially a one-sided way of looking at things. And I, I want to show you a headline, both of you, a headline that I saw in preparing for this, which is Todd Starnes wrote in Fox News that the time has come for every red-blooded, God-loving patriot to sever ties with the Boy Scouts of America. And that was in re- in response to uh, Michael Serbaugh's uh, apology about this speech. Um would either of you agree with him? Um, and, and what do you make of that level of reaction over political disagreements? I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I like the Scouts, I support the Scouts, but I'm not a Scout. <laughs> and um, I, I, I think that Starnes has strong opinions. Maybe he is part of the Boy Scouts. Um, I just don't feel strongly enough it, to express um, such an opinion. So, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, hit a nerve with me. I just, um, uh, I just feel mildly annoyed by the CEO's um, apology. I'm not, I'm not outraged by it. How about you, Mike? I mean, I thought the CEO's apology was appropriate, but it is true that over the past several years. 
because of pressures both inside and outside of scouting, uh, that the Boy Scouts have made changes that have been highly controversial and have moved uh, the sort of social direction of the Boy Scouts uh, somewhat to the left. But again, the fact that the uh, chief executive of of the Boy Scouts decided that <clears throat> that the uh, that he needed to to make a statement reaffirming the nonpartisanship of the organization after President Trump gave a strongly partisan speech. If that's what's breaking your, you know, your love for scouting, your ties to scouting, you know, I then I think they they probably weren't very deep, um, and this was a matter of time looking for an excuse more than anything else. When I see a headline like that, I I, I do get pretty concerned. Not necessarily so much about this specific event or the Boy Scouts. I was never a Boy Scout either, although I also respect what it is. Um, but just the notion that it seems like everything is at 11 in, in politics these days and that we're living in a divided nation where... And for, for those who if, don't understand the 11 on, reference, yeah. uh, Spinal <laughs> Tap, they had a stereo that was so loud that it went beyond 10. It went to... Eleven. There's some younger members of the audience who might not get the spinal tap yes. allusion. So sorry to interrupt you there, Mr. Moderator. Uh, that that might be true. So thank you. But uh, it seems like it's become so difficult for people across the ideological aisle to get along with each other, to continue to coexist with each other. I mean, this was a statement about the president's speech right this is not the core of what scouting is or or some dire attack on uh your being or, or even your political being compared to anything else somebody could say politically it was just this wasn't the place it wasn't even a repudiation of the of the content um, so I see something like that and I get really, really concerned about what that means for our country's ability to, to coexist. So I'm just curious well, there, where there, that leads you. There is, and I would say since the election, it has gotten substantially worse. And while both sides are guilty, obviously Starnes, is, Starnes here is a man of the right, uh, the left have also committed much of the aggression in this conflict over what uh, the Washington Free Beacon Sunny Bunch called the politicized life, where rather than creating spaces to retreat from the day-to-day -day partisan political goings-on, uh, instead the uh, Activist, you know, activists uh, mostly on the left, but also on the right, uh, have sought to politicize uh, what seem, you know, politicize aggressively politicize day to day interactions. Uh, you know, great examples of this: uh, the demonstrate, you know, the people who boycotted the Ender's Game movie a couple years ago because Orson Scott Card is a social conservative. Uh, the Colin Kaepernick, uh, um, the people who, the Colin Kaepernick's protests during the national anthem 
over policing and then the reaction to those protests of people boycotting the NFL. You know, if you want to live, if you know, there are people who, who want to live their life in this politicized way. The problem is that it personalizes and really aggressively deepens these divisions that have have opened up opened up in our society. And while I believe that, you know, obviously in Washington and in pol- in in policy and politics, we have you know sincere and fundamental disagreements over what is a good life, what is good policy, what should what are the, what is the role of government, what is the role of the you know of the state, what are the roles of the different levels of government, um, what are what are, where is the balance between freedom and security? Uh, when it comes to where you buy your coffee, where you, you know what sports that you watch, that that takes you, I I believe, to a very bad place when that starts driving everything that you do. All right, let's move on. So I, I'm inclined to agree with that, but I still can't make myself go to Target. Because of their crazy policy allowing men uh, to use ladies' bathrooms, so, and I like Target. I'd really like to go back there again, uh, but I, I just can't. I, I just can't do it. I don't normally boycott, but I just wanted to throw that in there. Look, uh, <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to make an executive decision as moderator not to go down that route. <laughs> so, so let's move on. Okay. Uh, so you identify as moderator now. Mm-hmm. I open as moderator. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, Matthew, this event also speaks more uh, broadly into criticisms of President Trump's off-the-cuff, some might say reckless communication. Uh, also this week, we saw the president announce a ban on transgender people in the military, seemingly before it was discussed with the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Previously, we've seen him reveal classified information uh, in a meeting with Russia, and I'm sure I could come up with dozens more examples uh, from his tweets. So w- why should we want a, a president to speak with seemingly so little consideration of the context uh, and for the impact that his words have, which seems to be a little bit what happened at this speech? Is he? I, I, I assume, I, I don't know that he's he's being reckless. It seems to me that when Donald Trump says something he's generally got a purpose in mind you know he's pretty um pretty calculating um so i i don't know i i don't i i think i would have to disagree with the premise that uh of your your statement which is that it was a that this this is reckless um like for example the the transgender soldier issue has been debated to death in the media and at the pentagon and, you know, I don't think, as some people have suggested, that this was just a, a high-handed decision uh, that, that he imposed on the military. I think it's been thought about and considered and deliberated uh, over a long time. So, um, you know, I think that sometimes when he's speaking off the cuff, um, he, you know, President Trump, um, like many people, like John McCain, can be a loose cannon um, uh, but I think that most of the time he seems to know what he's doing and, uh, and his words are chosen, um, deliberately. Yeah, I, d- I don't believe that at all. Um, the, the evidence, I mean, if you look at how his White House is managed, if you look at the 
the the first rule of the comm shop should be do no harm and all they can do is cause more harm and it's the tweets that trigger it. It is possible that in 2019, the president will be facing impeachment proceedings for his actions in terminating the FBI director, Jim Comey. And much of the evidence against him will be from his Twitter account. You know, there is a reason that a near majority of Republicans in opinion polling want the president to put his phone down and stop it. Uh, he has, you know, 40% of Republican voters in a recent ABC Washington Post poll uh, found his conduct, his general conduct, unpresidential. There's a reason that presidents behave in the manner that they do. It is because their words have meaning. Other countries, foreign intelligence services, uh, political actors on Capitol Hill, cabinet secretaries are taking all this into account. Uh and determining how they need to interact with the administration and the government of the United States. Um, so, yeah, when the president, you know, is shooting off on Twitter about the conduct, you know, about the conduct of the attorney general and maybe violating ethical lines regarding the Department of Justice in his firing off tweets... Uh, as regards the the question of of the uh, transgender sol, uh, transgender military service personnel, uh, it was reported that the uh, the congressmen who were trying to get the White House to back to back a funding bar on sex reassignment surgery in the military were completely blindsided by the fact that he was going to bar transgender service outright. The Joint Chiefs testified that they had no idea this was coming. That's no way to run a government. That's no way to run a military service. Uh, regardless of what you, what you think of the, of the, um, of the overarching issue, uh, th this was not deliberated. This was not, you know, Secretary Mattis is on vacation and had no idea that this was coming. Uh, there, there isn't the basic, let's not set more fires than there already are. And this, again, this is how you, how you crack, how you cause your, your political support to crater. And I think you saw in the reaction by Republicans on Capitol Hill to the tweets about transgender service personnel, all of whom said, this is not the right process. This is not how a decision of this magnitude should be made. Uh, that, that that's the effect of having, through a very bad communication strategy, squandered political support. I, Matthew, that was a, I, I, that I, sounded I, like an attack. I, I think that that was, that was uh, an eloquent um, whine, but let us focus on what the real issue is here, okay? The Trump, some people are acting like Trump is the first guy to politicize the Oval Office. May I remind you, President Obama appeared nobody, nobody, on between... No, 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 that's a straw, that is a straw man argument. I, I will not accept that straw man. Well, you don't no, have to no, accept no, it, no, but no, I, I, I'm going to make it. 
You don't well, have to accept it, but I'm going to make it. You let, let, let me speak, and let, then you can Let, you, let you Matthew can speak. finish, and then right. you can respond. Okay, if you're going to say I can't use logical fallacies, then I can't, then, you know, you can't use rhetoric. But anyway, um, Obama, with, behind two, uh, between two ferns with Zach Galifianakis or Galifianakis, however you, present, uh, you, you pronounce it, that was, you know, distasteful. Obama going on Jimmy Fallon and... Um, essentially rapping and doing a countdown, a top 10 with him. Um, uh, uh, appearing on that show with the lady who put milk in a bathtub with Lucky Charm cereal. Okay, so let's not pretend that Trump is the first to come along and and um, and lower the dignity, as it were. No, this of, isn't, of this isn't a question. Office. This isn't a question of dignity. This is a question of effectiveness. If... If President Trump's tweets were building support for a Republican health care plan that was worth getting behind, if President Trump's tweets were building consensus for a hard line against North Korea, if President Trump's tweets were advancing whatever agenda the president, the president claims to have, then I would have absolutely no problem with them. But what they are doing is they are burning his political capital. They are burning his legal capital for no particularly good purpose. So, no, it's not the same as when President Obama went on Jimmy Fallon or when President Obama spoke to Glozell, because those were an attempt to advance an agenda and build political support with the people who watch those shows. And what makes you think he's not trying to advance his agenda through I mean, he's trying, he's trying, but he's failing. Well, he's, like a majority, a near majority of Republicans think he should stop tweeting. <laughs> okay, well, a near so, majority of Republicans are wrong because Twitter is the only weapon that this man has against it's a, it's the Washington. A, it's a four ten shotgun aimed at his foot. <laughs> well, you you can think that and delude yourself, but I'm not going to join you join you on that bandwagon. Sorry to mix metaphors there. Twitter is the only way that he can go above the heads of the media and communicate with the people, whether he. Does it well is, you know, some or all or or rarely, uh, you know, a small portion of the time is um, is a subject of debate. But it's something that he has to he has to do. It's his only weapon uh, in defending himself. And if he just plays by the rules and, you know, shows up at the press conferences or responds politely with letters, you know, to dear colleague letters and and what have you and, and you know, uh, uh, follows the, the, the normal niceties of how Washington conducts business, he will lose. He's fighting back his own way and uh, and and trying to move forward his agenda, whether he's being effective I mean, Custer fought fought too. If I could. Is a subject of debate. If if I could just refocus this conversation a little bit, I think my guess would be, Mike, you probably don't have a problem with the conceptual idea of tweeting, right? So maybe. No, if, 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 if if he tweeted with a strategy that he had his team on board with, rather than, again, blindsiding them on numerous occasions with everything from personnel decisions to policy decisions to fundamental changes in how things work, then, again, it could be that that weapon that Matt seems to think that it is. The problem is that it appears unfocused 
It is wildly, uh, wildly aimless. It blindsides his own spokespeople. It blindsides his allies on Capitol Hill, and it squanders political capital. He's not using it in an effective manner. In the campaign, which I just conceded. I just oh, conceded. Okay, one they, can uh, argue over whether he's doing it right. You said he should abandon it altogether. I don't. I'm agree. saying he should abandon it if he cannot fix his, if he cannot fix the way that he's doing it. If he cannot recover some of the message discipline that he had in the last month of the campaign. You know, I uh, I went back and looked at the tweets right after he got elected. Went back and looked at his tweets from the last month of the campaign and what w- compared them to those of Hillary Clinton's team at Hillary Clinton's account. And what was striking was the use of the uh, the plural first person by Trump's team, we, us, to uh, versus Clinton talking about herself. That kind of message discipline, that could potentially recover this, this, uh, this situation. But if he's not going to employ Twitter in a way that is at least somewhat disciplined, if he's going to use it to attack his own administration, apparently at random, then it's just going to continue squandering his political capital and continue getting him into trouble. I got to say, I can't um, I can't uh, argue with you on his squabble with Jeff Sessions. That is bizarre, and uh, it, it, it does seem uh, counterproductive and kind of reckless. Unless, of course, he's a um, he's a, a Machiavellian mastermind, and there's some larger game happening here, which you know we're not going to know till it's over. Uh, but uh, yeah, on that on that point, the the session stuff is is getting pretty tiresome. All right, so going in a little bit of a different direction with that, uh, Mike, is there a value to having a president who says what he means and means what he says? to having somebody who is transparent with the American people rather than only speaking to the people in polished language crafted by speechwriters. It seems like this is the first time we've had something like that. Uh, I, I certainly agree with you that he's not doing it perfectly and that there have been issues there. But conceptually, it seems rare for a politician to be so... Uh, I don't want to say the word honest because I know there's some issues with... Uh, truthfulness that we don't need to go down right now, but genuine. I mean, there's nothing uh, inherently wrong with, you know, Trump talking in his very particular cadences and his very Queensy accent and his very Queensy diction, uh, you know, rather than, you know, Harvard English. The problem is as always, well, one, I mean, you can't just wave off the fact that he is frequently dishonest. You can't wave off the fact that sometimes it seems like he doesn't know what he's talking about. The idea of having speechwriters, of having a communication staff, is to put, you know, ideas that are part of your policy that are maybe not necessarily what you specialize in into your voice for you to take to the people who supported you and to take to the American people as a whole. Uh, Doing it directly yourself, you know, possibly on the can at 7.30 a.m., 
bigfooting your own spokespeople, creating what appear to be policies that your press secretary is not prepared to defend when the press ultimately come asking, because they will, because that's their job. The, you know, at, at that point, you are creating, you are, you are being self-destructive. And it's not a question of language polish or a question of, you know, how he talks. It's a question of what he's saying. And if it doesn't come with a plan, if it doesn't come with uh, some kind of strategy, some kind of idea, it's just going to cause problems. Matthew, any thoughts on that? No. <laughs> not not really. I think we've been over this. Uh, this is pretty well-trod ground at this point. All righty then. In that case, uh, I think we're all, we're all set here. Um, so that's our show for this week. We'll be back next week, and we hope you'll join us if you're not already. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on social media at Capital Research Center on Facebook and YouTube, and at Capital Research on Twitter. I'm Matthew Vadim. And I'm Michael Watson. And I'm Jake Klein. Thanks for listening.